Dear Jesus, we thank you again for this morning, God, and we thank you for worship. We thank you for being able to pray already and come into your presence. And now, Lord, we thank you for this time that all of us together can open your Bible, open your word, and study it. And God, we, we yearn for you. We thirst for you, God. We yearn to hear from you, and I pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would change us and transform us, that your Holy Spirit will come upon us and help us to grow as we surrender more and more of our lives to you. So, Lord, I pray for, for your anointing upon your word. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be in every home, every house, every living room, everywhere that, that every people are connected and listening and watching in and i pray that you would bless your word right now and we ask this in jesus name amen there was a deacon in the church who got a parrot that who would only say let's kiss let's kiss how do you like that no, no matter what he what he tried to do with the parrot the parrot would only say let's kiss let's kiss when he was just about to get rid of the bird in frustration, he found out the pastor of the church he went to had a parrot too. Now, the pastor's parrot was kind of like this deacon's parrot. It could only say certain words too. But the pastor's parrot would only say, let's pray, let's pray. Well, the deacon thought maybe the pastor's parrot could teach his parrot to say, let's pray, let's pray also so the deacon had this idea he called the pastor to invite him over and bring his parrot to his house so when the pastor arrived they put the two parrots in in the same cage to see what would happen well right away just as usual the deacon's parent said let's kiss let's kiss but then the pastor's parrot said thank you lord my prayers aren't been answered well, I guess you can say prayer is powerful. God answers prayer. You know, I like what someone said. Faith may move the mountains, but prayer moves the hand of God. I love that. Well, as we continue in our study in the book of Daniel, Daniel finds about the prophecy or finds that the prophecy about Israel's return to the homeland is just about to be fulfilled. And then you know what he does? He breaks into a powerful prayer for the revival of his fellow Jewish, fellow Jewish people. So what we're going to see here in chapter nine, chapter 9, recorded here in our passage today, is Daniel's powerful prayer. And that's the title of our message this morning, Daniel's powerful prayer. We're going to be studying Daniel chapter 9 from verse 1 through 19. We're going to just take like the first half of this chapter. And with this uh, section that we're looking at, I've divided it really only into two parts, and our outline really is two headings here. And so our two parts is this number one, the prophecy of the return, and number two, the plea for the revival. We'll be putting those up on the screen for you as we go, but title again, Daniel's Powerful Prayer, and our, our two headings are the prophecy of the return and the plea for the revival. So let's begin here. Number one, the prophecy of the return, the prophecy of the return. Now, in this first section, we're actually only going to cover verses one through three, but let's take a look here and read the first two verses, verses one and two. Daniel chapter nine, and it reads, in the first year of Darius, the son of 
Ahas, Ahasuerus by descendant Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So, Stop right there and just take a look at these two first two verses. We begin now in verse 1 with the time frame of this prayer, which also includes the rest of chapter 9, which we'll see next time uh, in a couple weeks after Easter. But it also includes this time when, when uh, all of this happened and when Daniel prayed this prayer. Now, Daniel mentions that he prays this during the first year of Darius, which is a title. Remember, we, we, we studied that back in chapter 6, I believe, where uh, Darius meant like a, a king or, or Caesar or president or something. So, so this is the first year of the king, Darius. Now, Darius here speaks of Cyrus, the ruler and conqueror of the Medo-Persian Empire. He is, it says here in verse 1, the son of uh, Ahasuerus, which it means royalty. He's a descendant of royalty. And when it says a Mede, it could mean that he is ruler over the Medes. Now, I don't know if you remember back in chapter 6, where I was talking about how some look at this, because it's hard to uh, really look back in history, and there's some information on this, but some believe that Darius is actually a ruler under King Cyrus, and he's over the area of the Chaldeans, we're reading here in verse 1, and that is another word for Babylon. So it could be that. It could be like I mentioned last week that uh, there was a, a ruler underneath who was over the Medes and kind of was allowed to rule, and that could have been Darius the Mede here. But either way, we have to understand, and this is important for later too, uh, this prayer came during the first year of when the Medo-Persian Empire was, was in rule here, the world empire, and Cyrus was in power. Now, in the last chapter, if you remember, Daniel's vision came during the last king of Babylon. You remember who that was? Belshazzar. And so we're fast-forwarding here after the fall of ba the Babylonian Empire, which is actually chapter 5, if you remember. And now the Medes and Persians rule the world with Cyrus as king. And just as a reminder, do you remember that the first half of the book of Daniel from chapter 1 through uh, 6 was more chronological? Whereas the second half of Daniel from chapter 7 to chapter 12, where we're in, in chapter 9, it's more prophetic. So the first part of Daniel is more chronological, kind of went chronological. But once we cross into chapter 7, it was more prophetic. It was arranged more by subject, more of what the prophecies were. So this is why in chapter 6, Cyrus is mentioned. Uh, chapter 5 was the fall of Babylon. But then in chapter 7 and 8, we see we're back to Belshazzar, that last king of Babylon. And now we're back to Cyrus again. It's more prophetic here from chapter 7 on. Okay, so Daniel goes on. And then in verse 2, during the first year of this king Cyrus, in verse 2, Daniel, he began to perceive or to realize how in the books, the books talk about the scriptures that he had, uh, how they say of how the Lord now 
tell, had told Jeremiah the number of years that would pass before, and, and you can see this in verse 2, before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem. In other words, how the Babylonian captivity would come to the end in 70 years. How the end of Jerusalem, the temple, the city, uh, would the end of the ruins of Jerusalem, the desolation, uh, desolations, would come to an end in 70 years. And so that period of captivity, when Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed, would last 70 years. Uh, uh, the Jews would be taken captive to Babylon. That that would last 70 years. And then the Jews can go back home and rebuild their beloved city and temple. So Daniel was studying what the word of God was saying in Jeremiah about the future of Israel. Daniel looked into the prophecy of the return of Israel. That's our heading, the prophecy of the return. This is what Daniel's perceiving. This is what Daniel's looking into. This is Daniel, what he's reading about in the book of Jeremiah as he sees the future of Israel, those 70 years. Now, before the time that Jerusalem even fell and the temple was destroyed, before King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came in and, and took over Israel in that way, or Judah in that way, Jeremiah the prophet predicted that the Jews will be in, Bab in a Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And, that, and that's what Daniel seen. D Jeremiah also predicted that when the Babylonian uh, power fell, that the Jews will return to the homeland. All this was in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11 and 12. You can look at that later. And most likely Daniel was reading that. And most likely, I believe, he is also reading Jeremiah 29, 10. And you could, you could see that there on the screen too. Jeremiah 29, 10. I think we have that. It says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years, you see that, are completed for Babylon... I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So Daniel most likely was reading those words of Jeremiah that were written before Babylon even came and took over. And, and he's reading going, hey, 70 years. 70 years is how long we're going to be in captivity here. So you can imagine what Daniel is thinking right now. You can imagine, he's probably wondering, whoa, it's coming up here. Do you remember? In Daniel chapter 1, we learned that Daniel was part of the first deportation of Jews to be taken to Babylon. He was part of that in 605 B.C. You remember, he was probably like 15 to 17 years old. He was a teenager. And then we learned that the Babylonian Empire fell to the Medo-Persian empires in 539 B.C. So here's Daniel, he's reading Jeremiah, calculating, oh, it's 539 B.C., it's this first year of King Cyrus, he's come. And it's been about 66, 67 years since he came to Babylon and the fall of Babylon and the Medo-Persian being in rule. So you can imagine him thinking, wow, it's 67, 67 years, well, time is almost up. Now, at this time, Daniel, Daniel is probably around 81 to 83 years old. He's, he's an old man, but he's been waiting for this. He's been wondering if he'll still be here to see the prophecy fulfilled. So this is what he's reading. This is what he's discovering. 
Daniel is probably thinking, and I mentioned this before uh, a couple weeks ago, of how in Isaiah 44:28 it actually names Cyrus as the one who will help the Jews return and rebuild the temple. Which, by the way, you remember Isaiah prophesied that more than 150 to like 200 years now before when Daniel was about to pray and when he's thinking about all this. Isn't that amazing? So Jeremiah the prophet prophesied this. And then Isaiah way before Jeremiah prophesied that Cyrus would be the one to help the Jews. So you can imagine Daniel pondering all this. Whoa. Well, we're about 67 years or so, 66, 67 years, and well, we're about the end of captivity here. And not only that, lo and behold, Cyrus is the ruler here of the Medo-Persian Empire, and that's who was prophesied to help the Jews rebuild this temple. So he knows that soon God will bring uh, uh, freedom to his people, bring them back to Jerusalem to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple, uh, importantly. Now, let me tell you this. You and I, we can look back on history as we have been right in the past few chapters and also in chapter 2. We have that luxury. We have that, that, that we can look back on history and we can see exactly what happened. Now, after Daniel's prayer here in 539 B.C., in 538 B.C., and we don't know exactly when 539, so I would say less than a year or so, King Cyrus, he made a proclamation, and he allowed the Jews to return to their homeland. Lo and behold, look, it was, it was fulfilled in what was prophesied. And in 536 B.C., in that 70th year after captivity, the foundation to the temple was laid down to rebuild that temple. Isn't that amazing? In that 70th year. We know something else, and a lot of students of the Bible, uh, they, they understand, they look at this also about the 70 years here. We know that the temple itself was destroyed in 586 B.C. The first deportation was 605 B.C., but then about, what, almost 20, 19 years later, at 586 B.C., the, the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar finally came in after a couple years of siege and took Israel. Well, after the Jews returned to Jerusalem. The Jews finished rebuilding the temple. And you know when that was? 516 B.C. So exactly there, 70 years when after the temple was destroyed and the Jews came back, they rebuilt the temple and it was finally completed in 516 B.C. So many uh, scholars and students of the Bible look at that and say, wow, look, there's the 70 years right there. So either way you look at it, it's amazing. So you see why Daniel was wondering, especially now, wow, Cyrus is the king now? Wow, we're, we're coming to that point of the end of the 70 years. I've been here like 66, 67 years. And Daniel's reading the word of God, reading Jeremiah, and putting all these prophecies all together. All right, so after being in the word and, and, and perceiving, understanding, thinking about all these things, then look what happened in verse 3. Take a look with me in verse 3. It says, Then I returned my face to the Lord, seeking, or I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. 
So with Daniel thinking, wow, this is going to be very soon. Anytime God's going to be moving things, moving the king's heart, it's, it's going to happen. Well, with that in his mind, that soon God will release the Jews to go back home. Daniel, you know what he did? He turned to God in prayer. He took what he read and he turned to God in prayer over that. And he prayed and pleaded for mercy to be upon the people of Israel. Why is that? He pleaded that Israel would be spiritually ready, that they would turn to the Lord, that they would turn to God. Now, at this time, uh, um, that people were starting to think about, wow, we're in captivity. This has been a hard time. They've been in a crisis, think about, for 70 years. There's some who got used to the Babylonian life, too. But, but Daniel was praying that, wow, as it comes to this point, as, as people become maybe even more educated about the future of Israel, about prophecy being fulfilled that people will begin to turn to God who haven't yet and really become spiritual, spiritually ready to return to the land. So he prayed. He prayed for this. He prayed with fasting. And we know what that is, right? Putting eating aside to focus on seeking God in prayer. And that's what we ask you guys to do every Monday, to pray for the church and each other, right? Put a meal aside so that we can pray just focusing on prayer and the Lord. He also prayed with sackcloth. Now, what is that? That is to put on clothes made of coarse goat hair, which was actually the sacks used for grain. So I don't know, maybe it's like he, he cut a hole, you know, in, in the top of it and, and, and on the sides for his arms so he could wear that. But it was coarse. And then also he prayed with ashes. He takes some ashes and put it on his head. Well, the sackcloth and the ashes were the Jewish way of showing mourning as they went before the Lord. It was a Jewish way of showing repentance to God. And I'll explain more of that, of the repentance and all, in our next section. So, what we see, when he sees in the word the soon fulfillment of the prophecy of the return now of the people of Israel, Daniel then turns to a full-on, dedicated time of prayer. Warren Wiersbe wrote this in his commentary about this. He said, when Daniel learned God's truth, the experience humbled him and moved him to worship and to pray. So that's what we see. That's what's setting us up to this prayer we're going to see in the next section. So this is what I want you to take away with this. And this, this, is, what the point, this is the point in our first section. In response... Uh, to what he read, Daniel takes the word to prayer. In response to what he read, Dan Daniel takes the word to prayer. You know, I was thinking about how every day I make myself a cup of green tea. You can see this here. Yummy, yummy. It's actually a cup from one of the women's uh, conferences, I think. And even though it's from a women's conference, I'm okay drinking out of it. Anyway, every day I like to make green tea for me, and I drink a cup or actually many cups throughout the day. And the way I make it is, you know, I, I, I take a scoop of green tea, put it into this strainer I have, and I, I take the strainer and I put the strainer into my cup, and then I hold the strainer uh, or over the cup while boiled water pours from our hot water dispenser that we have 
And then as it pours in there, I, I'm holding the strainer. And after I fill the cup, I actually allow the, the strainer to sit inside my cup for a little while. And why is that? Well, to steep the tea, right? To, to let the tea leaves soak into the water. And then the, the, what, what are, the tea leaves, what's in there, gets into the, the boiling water and becomes green tea, right? It's not just clear. Now, the longer the tea steeps, the stronger the tea is, right? The longer the leaves steep, the stronger the tea is. And you know what? I like my green tea strong, so I let it sit there, you know, for, for a while. Well, let me tell you, <clears throat> I tell you, this is what Daniel did. By bringing what he read into prayer, he was steeping the word of God into his life. Think about it this way. The word is like the tea leaves. Uh, praying is like that hot water. The tea is the word becoming stronger and imprinting and becoming part of your heart and soul and your life. So that's what Daniel did. In response to God's word, Daniel took what he read, took the word of God, and he turns to prayer. He goes and takes some time in prayer. Now, I believe what we're seeing here, what we're reading right now, is a glimpse of what he did all the time. I believe he did this every day. I believe he was in the Word every day, but he also was in prayer every day. He took the time not only to be in the Word, but he took the time to spend it, spend time in fervent prayer. You know, <laughs> before our um, uh, crisis were in here, before we you know, that we're in as a world, as a state or community right now, before that stay-at-home order, you know, I've heard some people say, oh, I've just been too busy to be in the Word. Or I've been, I, I, I've been too busy to pray. Or I'm, you know, I've been too busy even to go to church, some people are saying. Well, now we don't have that excuse, right? Now we have more time on our hands. Now we can't say, oh, I'm too busy. Well, let me... Let me put this out to you. Now, I know I've been encouraging guys to double your time in the Word of God. Double your time in your devotions and in prayer. But don't just read your Bible and go into your day with little or no time of prayer. Don't just pray and go into your day with little Bible time either. Take the time now to do both. Read first. That's what I do. I, I read first, I, and then I type in my journal uh, what's really touching my heart. And then I go to prayer, and I pray about what I read. Do that. Read first, and then pray about what you read about. And as you pray over what you read about, as you pray about what God is speaking to you about in the Word, you know, that's steeping the Word into your heart and soul. And that's how the Word of God can get stronger in your life. You know, you kind of wonder how Daniel, remember, he was a no-compromise kind of guy. We've been learning that. Remember, he still prayed, even, in, even though threatened with being thrown into the lion's den. We know his heart for the people of Israel and his heart for God. And you, you know why that is? Because he was in the Word, and then he took the Word, and he went to prayer. So don't neglect one for the other, or nor neglect taking time for, you know, both, doing both uh, reading and praying. The Scottish minister and writer in, uh, from the 1800s, Andrew Murray, Murray, he wrote this. Little of the word with little prayer is death to the spiritual life. Much of the word and with little prayer gives a sickly life. Much prayer with little of the word gives emotional life. 
but a full measure of both the word and prayer each day gives a healthy and powerful life. So that's what Daniel is showing us here. That's what we see. So we see Daniel's study in the word on the prophecy of the return. It actually now leads to Daniel's powerful prayer. So let's go on now to that. Number two in our outline, the plea for the revival. We've seen the prophecy of the return. And now number two, our second heading, the plea for the revival. This is Daniel's powerful prayer. All right, and we're going to be covering the rest of this chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 9 from verse 4 to 19. But first of all, let's take a look at verse 4. Verse 4. It says here, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We'll stop there. Now, Daniel breaks out into this prayer, and it's going to go all the way to the end of the chapter. And in this prayer, we're going to see four parts to Daniel's prayer. We're going to see four parts of this prayer, of his powerful prayer. And this is the four parts. Number one, we're going to see the humble adoration. Number two, the honest confession. Number three, the heartfelt intercession. And number four, the highest petition. So these are the four parts we're going to cover. And as we cover this, what I want to want you guys to keep in mind is that, you know, let's learn this. Maybe, perhaps, let's use this as a pattern for our prayers when we pray this week, when, as we go on and spend more time in prayer and take the word and, and put it into prayer, let's, let this be a pattern too for our prayer so we can pray like Daniel and pray powerfully. All right, so four parts to Daniel's prayer. And the first thing we see here in verse 4 is humble adoration. Humble adoration. Now, Daniel begins his prayer, he says, of confession, he calls it. And we're going to see uh, that in our next heart and it it's really uh, most of this prayer but as he comes before the lord he starts though with worship with a humble adoration he says here in verse four he says oh lord now the hebrew word for lord here is adonai or adonai uh, some of you know that word we will sing it in a song it actually means my lord my master or it means my majesty so uh, it's, it's coming to the Lord in that sense that God is the Lord God. He's our master. He's majestic. And so Daniel begins with that. He begins with worship, basically. Then he calls God the great and awesome here in verse 4. He, that means he's great in magnitude. He's held in high honor and with the highest respect. So again, you can see how he comes humbly holding God up. And then he also prays, God is also the one who keeps the covenant and steadfast love. In other words, God keeps, he continues, he's the faithful one. He's faithful to his promises and his relationship, his covenant relationship to his people. He's faithful in his unfailing love, steadfast love toward all those, and as verse 4 says, to those who basically love him and obey him. So God, he prays, he is the God who will never fail those people who are truly his people. This is God. So he's exalting him. So first of all, David approaches in prayer, in worship. 
David approaches in humble adoration. And I love that. That's the first thing he does. He comes to God in worship. You know, I was thinking about how David began his prayer in the same way. In 1 Chronicles 29, 11-12, David writes this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. And then David prays, both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. You, in your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. So like David, Daniel prays first with humble adoration. That's what uh, David did in, in, that, in that first part of his prayer in First Chronicles. You know, that's what I have learned through these years. As we've been studying the Bible, that, Bible, that's what I've been trying to teach you guys, right? Nehemiah's prayer, David's prayer, and even here in Daniel's prayer. We always want to start out with Worship, and that's that's what I've 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 learned that when I first come to God, I'm bowing before the Lord God of the universe, and and you know what I do? What I like to do to help me with this is I pray the attributes of God, like He is Lord God, He is He is my Creator, He is the Eternal One, He is unchanging, He's all powerful, He is sovereign, He's all knowing, He's full of all wisdom and knowledge, He's holy righteous and just and i think about the pureness of god and that just makes me even bow down to him even more like in isaiah 6 he is faithful like daniel's praying here he he surpasses he's above all everybody and everything but you know what i love one of the attributes that i get to as i go down this list is that god is love and and that i just treasure too so all of that in his greatness has me just bow down to him I'll tell you, before I saw this, and I saw this in Daniel, you know, for me, it was more about myself, right? I mean, how about you? When, do we rush into prayer? We shouldn't do that. Do we rush into prayer, I mean, with, the, with thinking that, God, I want this, I want this, and Lord, uh, we just, we just uh, treat God like this big vending machine in the sky, and we come to Him, put in our prayers, and out comes the answers, right? No, that makes prayer everything about you now it's not wrong to cry out to god it's not wrong to to go to him with your requests and ask for things but he welcomes that don't get me wrong here but but most of the time all we do is rush into prayer into prayer thinking about what ourselves thinking about my things things about thinking about what i need not even not even about someone else or their requests and their needs and we forget that you know what we're approaching we're coming to the eternal creator, sovereign Lord God of the universe. And we need to remember that. And that's why it's, it's good to first come to the Lord in worship and honoring him in humble adoration. And I'll tell you something else. If we come to God and worship first, if we come to God with seeing the Lord high and lifted up in all power and might, you know what? It's going to help us us with the perspective that if God is all-powerful, then he can work in my life. If, if God is in control of everything, then he can answer my prayer. So let's remember, let's you and I remember to come to God in prayer, in humble adoration, and honor him and worship him first. All right, so in these four parts of Daniel's prayer, number one is humble adoration. As we go on, we see honest confession here, honest 
confession. Now take a look here. This is really going to cover like verses 5 through 14. Uh, but take a look at the uh, verse 5 and 6 right now. Verse 5 and 6. It says, We have sinned and done wrong and acted acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Verse 6. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke to your name, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Now Daniel prays here in confession to sin. And notice how he starts here in verse 5. He says, we. Isn't that interesting? He's not saying, they, and I haven't. But Daniel identifies with his fellow people, the Jews. He shows his humbleness. He's coming in, but he's, he comes in with an honest heart as he acknowledges even maybe his part of doing the wrong. So David goes to God, and he's straight. He's honest. He's sincere in his confession here. And he's straight up, and he says, we have sinned, right? And he says, we've done wrong. Look at the words he uses here. We've acted wickedly. And he even says, we rebelled against what? The commandments of God or the word of God. He even went as far as saying that we were disobeying as a, as a nation, as a people, and ignoring who? The prophets. And these are the prophets, the messengers that God specially sent to help Israel, to reach out to Israel, to warn them, then call them back to him. But the people rebelled. The people didn't even listen to them. Daniel confesses the sin of how Israel turned their back on the Lord God. That's what we see in these two verses. You know, from our studies in the Old Testament, we learn how Israel... They were supposed to be God's people, right? What does that mean? They belonged to, to the Lord. They were to worship the one true God. Where? In the temple. They were to live out the commands that God had given them, to live out the word that God specially gave Israel. They were to be God's people. But what happened? They drifted away from God. When they came into the promised land, they drifted away. And they went after other idols. In other words, they got distracted and with the things in the world and what the, the other idols and things that the Gentiles did. They went after that. God no longer was a priority anymore. And even when God tried to reach out to them, uh, even, even trying to bring them back to them, He sent the messengers, the prophets, you know what? They rejected them, and they even killed some of them. They didn't even want to hear that. They, they just said, get away from me, and even killed them. How sad that Israel turned their back on the Lord who had blessed them so much. So here's Daniel confessing that in humble confession, how the nation, his people, have turned their back on the Lord. Well, Daniel goes on here in verse 7 and 8 now. Take a look here. It says in verse 7, To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you, Verse 8, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. So we see Daniel confesses that, that the Lord, to the Lord, belongs righteousness. In other, words, in other words, God has done nothing wrong here. It's not his fault. He has nothing to be accused of. 
right? It is Israel's shame. It's her sins that brought all this upon her, right? It, 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 even the Jewish kings and leaders, they rebelled against God. The NLT translates the word treachery in verse 7 as disloyalty. And that's why they are sitting in Babylon right now. That's why they are in captivity. When Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was burned down and destroyed and the, the rest of the people of the Jews were taken into captivity. You know what? That was the end of the nation of Israel. Already the Syrians had come years before that and taken the northern kingdom after the split. And uh, the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, who were there in Jerusalem, they went on for a while, but they still went after idols and did their own thing and didn't follow God. And, and even next to God, oh yeah, yeah, we worship God. They worship other idols. So God brought this, the consequence upon them. They're, and they lost the nation. And they weren't a nation, you know what, until 1948. In our lifetime, we've seen Israel, uh, we see Israel a nation again. But it was, that's when they lost it. So Daniel confesses this sin and says, you know what, what he's saying, we take responsibility for the wrong we've done. It's not you, God, it's on us. You're righteous. Well, um, we can't accuse you of nothing. It's all on us. So we take responsibility for the wrong that we've done. Now, I'm going to put up on the screen 1 John 1 9. You can turn there if you want, but just for sake of time, 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Many of us know that verse. It's an it's a incredible, special verse to me. It's one of the first verses I memorized because I was struggling with condemnation after I came to Jesus. But I learned here that when we confess our sins, you know what? God will come, He'll forgive me, He'll cleanse me, and I'll be made right with Him. So it's an awesome verse. Well, I wanted to point something out to you in this verse. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess. You know that word confess? It actually means to agree with. It, it, it means in the original Greek to say the same thing as another. Uh, it means to agree with or assent to. So that's what we're saying. When we confess our sins, we're saying, Lord, I agree with what you call is sin. That what I'm doing wrong is wrong. So I take responsibility for what I've done. I take responsibility for my own sin. That's what confession really is about. It's taking uh, responsibility. It's not blaming God. It's not blaming someone else. But it's taking responsibility for your part, what you've done. It's taking ownership of what you've done, of your own sin. So that's what confession is. It's not remorse like, oh, yeah, I got caught. That's remorse. Or, oh, wow, okay, you know. No, confession is really saying, God, this is wrong. I agree with you. I know this is wrong. I'm going to take responsibility. And so that's what Daniel is saying here in this humble confession. Well, take a look now here, verses 9 through 12. 9 through 12. We see in verse 9, he says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. Uh, verse 11, 
All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that I written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. We'll stop there. So Daniel prays, and if you look at verse 9 again, he prays knowing that God gives mercy and forgiveness, even though Israel have not obeyed what God asked them to do. So Daniel's coming in confession, knowing that there's no other way that we can gain forgiveness, but by the Lord granting us that mercy, forgiveness through his mercy. So that's why in verse 11, he says, you know what, this curse and oath came upon us. What is that? Well, that was losing their land, losing the temple, losing Jerusalem, losing their nation, and going into captivity. You see, the curse and oath speaks of the consequences that God warned Israel about if they were to disobey his word. The curse is that consequence. And the oath is, you know what? If you go against me, if you, don't, if you disobey me, you rebel against me, then you know what? I have to. Bring discipline upon you. I got to bring this punishment. So David confesses that what happened is consequences for not obeying God's word. When you look back on Israel's history, you know, one thing we can see, too, that for 490 years, before the the seven-year captivity, for 490 years, Israel did not keep the Sabbath year. They did not keep it. What's the Sabbath here? Well, that's God had asked them every seven years that they were to let the land lay rest. In other words, they weren't to plant. They weren't to cultivate it, harvest it. They're just let it rest, let it be. Basically, it was like a one-year vacation. How do you like that? Work six years and then have a one-year off vacation. That's what they were supposed to do. But they did not do that for 490 years now. But greed drove Israel to keep plowing, to keep harvesting, a a, a disregard for God's word. You know, they didn't care. They didn't think about it. They just went on, lived their life, did what they wanted to, uh, had them disregard all of that. So they actually owed God 70 years, right? Uh, Every seven years, seven times seven is 490. And so they owed God 70 years of land rest. Thus, that's what God did he brought in seven years of captivity rested the land and david knew that that was the consequences of going against god's word and god had to bring the consequences because of the oath he made but remember god's love is upon Israel. he cared for them and so there's going to be an end of this though we understand this is that this moral law, I think. You've you got to think about it that way. What you reap, you sow. But this is that oath, this curse and that oath. So finally now, Daniel confesses here in verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 and 14, as it says, As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord your God, turning from our iniquities, gaining insight by your truth, Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all 
the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. All right, here, Daniel prays on, and, and, and he, he prays on how all this calamity, the seven years of, of captivity, the, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, them losing their nation, you know what? It was written in God's word. It was what God warned would happen if we did not turn, Daniel saying, from our iniquities and learn his truth and learn from his truth. Therefore, God, you're righteous. You're, you're, you're righteous. What you've done it is, is right to allow these things that because we did not obey to happen to us. That's what Daniel's saying. So Daniel confesses, you know what? In seeing clearly everything that happened, right, was, was on them. He's praying in honest confession. And you know what? When you come to this place where you take responsibility, where you see that these are consequences, that it's not God. You know what? You're in this place. Under all of this, you're in this place of brokenness. And that's what I see as Daniel wraps up this humble confession, this part in this prayer. You know what? I see brokenness here. Psalm 51.17, and we'll put that on the screen too. It says, 5117, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite uh, heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You see, I believe all of this that happened, that, that God had to discipline Israel, take away the land, the, the city, the temple, all of this was a discipline to, to bring it into a place of brokenness before him. When it says here in Psalm fifty-one seventeen that that uh, the sacrifice of God, you know what He receives? A broken spirit, a broken and contrite. Contrite means like a crushed heart because of all the trials and calamity. It says, God, you will not despise, you will not reject. You're going to receive. You're going to come. God had brought them to a place, Israel, a place of brokenness, so that they would truly see their sin, the idolatry, and everything they did, and the disobedience, and then turn back to God. Did you know, after they returned to Jerusalem, after the 70 years of captivity, that the, the Hebrews, they never went back to idolatry in their history. They, they didn't. They, they were like cured of that during this time. So this place of brokenness is really the place of true confession and repentance. And it is here. God doesn't reject but he comes with forgiveness. He comes and receives. He comes and restores here. And you know what? This is the way we should approach the Lord in our prayers, in this real way of confession. You know, real quick, are you in that place of brokenness maybe right now? With everything going on, with you losing things and, 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 and just being at a loss, huh? and, and you're just coming to God broken, knowing even some of this is a consequence of your own sin. You know Go to Jesus, and you'll find forgiveness. Go to him, you'll find healing. Go to him. He loves you, and you know what? You will find salvation. All right, let's go to the third part of this prayer, the, heart, uh, the heartfelt intercession, the heartfelt intercession. In these four parts of Daniel's prayer, we see the humble adoration, the honest confession. Number three is the heartfelt intercession. And here we're going to look at uh, verse 15 through 17. 15 through 17. And so it says, And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourselves as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. 
O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. So here now, Daniel pleads for God to to do what he's done before. This is his petition here now. He's crying out from his heart, his heartfelt petition. Like, and it's like when he delivered Israel out of the land of Egypt with his mighty hand, verse 15. So David asked God to turn away from the discipline that has fallen upon Israel and the land, and as God has done before, to therefore answer the prayer of David and his people. And so he pleads for God's mercy to come. That's his petition. To plea, he pleads for God's mercy to fall upon the people and to make his face shine upon them again, which means to bring favor and blessings upon them. And, and that is because they messed up Jerusalem and the land. They're the ones. It was their, the consequences of their sin. He's saying, God, sh- God, look upon Jerusalem again. Bless it again. Have it rebuilt. Bring the people home again. Uh, home again and let their hearts be turned to you again that's the idea here daniel prays for israel and this is that heartfelt intercession interceding for the people asking god to once again bless the nation and bring the people into a right relationship with him this is that plea for the revival he's asking god to renew the heart's of the people of Israel. And I love this part. You know why? Because th- this is this heartfelt petition. This is, this is what we should be crying out to. Because as Daniel prays, you know, I think, about, I think about how every revival in the history of Christianity, you know what? It came through prayer. Take a look here what A.T. Pearson said. There's never been a spiritual awakening in any any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Do you hear what, what he's saying there? It's exactly what David is doing here. He knows that only prayer can bring a revival into land. This is his plea for revival for Israel, for his people. Now, now, Henry Blackaby also talks about this, and, and he talks about how revival begins and continues in the prayer meeting. I like that. And, and also, he talks about this. He said, in times of revival, thousands may be found on their knees for hours, lifting up their heartfelt cries with thanksgiving to heaven. And, and I believe this is the time that we need to do that. In this time of coronavirus crisis, let us pray to that people in our island, in Maui, in our community, in our state, in our nation would truly repent and come to know Jesus Christ. I believe that God right now is reaching out to people that through this this crisis, through this time that is so hard for everybody, as we cry out to God, as we turn to God, He wants to bring revival. He wants to bring in His love and His forgiveness. He wants to make people right with Him as they confess their sins. And I think perhaps this right now, as God moves on all of our hearts, that this just might be the last revival before the church goes home. So pray, people. Pray for people. Pray that we would all turn to God. So pray like never before.
All right, so we've seen in these parts of Daniel's prayer the humble adoration, the honest confession, this heartfelt intercession. Now the final part here, the highest petition, the highest petition. So the last two verses we're going to see today, verse 18 and 19. They say, Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear, O Lord, for forgive, O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. So we see here Daniel finishes his prayer with this uh, uh, petition, basically. Oh, I was saying petition, but intercession in the other part. But anyway, he asked God to see the state of Israel and bring a restoration and revival. Not, not because of our righteousness, um, anything that we've done, but because of our great mercy. In other words, we're sinners, we've done wrong. But you know what? By your mercy and grace, you can help us. And also bring in this revival, not for our own sake. But you know what Daniel's saying? For your glory. For your glory. Because the city, and what's that? Jerusalem and the people, Israel, they're called by your name. The land and the Jews are known to what? Belong to God. And so if they see God restoring them back there and restoring the temple and the city, you know what? People will give God glory. That's his prayer. It's for God's sake. So Daniel lifts up this petition, and not so much about himself, but this is the highest request you can even make. Pray that God would be glorified. This is the highest petition. This is how we should pray too, that it's about God. It's about him getting the glory. It's about him getting the honor in all of this. You know, I, I don't know if you caught this um, I read about a retired sheriff's deputy from uh, Georgia, Clay Bentley, contracted the coronavirus, and he ended up in the hospital with a severe case of pneumonia. Well, after the fifth or sixth day in the hospital, the doctors were at a loss, and he was getting worse, and they did everything they could. And, but this Christian man, he, he, he says this, I heard God tell me you're getting better. That night, about 3 a.m., he got to this point where he was struggling to breathe. Then he said he felt like someone was on top of his chest. Then all of a sudden, he felt like air being blown into his lungs. He says this, I know as a believer that God was there with me. And he began to blow air in my lungs, and I took a deep breath. The next day, the doctors came in and were surprised that there was hardly any fluid in his lungs. The doctor asked him, I just want to ask you, if you're a praying man. Yes, sir, said Bentley. I pray constantly. The doctor then said this, Well, I have found in my practice when people pray that positive energy causes the body to begin to heal itself. This is the doctor, right? Well, Bentley replied, You can believe that if you want to, but I tell you, God came in my room last night and healed me. Amen. Well, that's what we pray for, that God gets the glory. It's God. It's not, oh, we prayed and we caused some positive things to happen. No, it's God who did the miracle. God does the healing. So let's pray, not just for healing, but that through the healing, God would be glorified. Let's pray that people would be saved and not just saved, but be, God would be glorified. Let's pray that we would see miracles, not just for ourselves or others, 
but that God would be glorified. So you see, as we finish up here, let's pattern our prayers now like Daniel did. Let's pray in humble adoration, honest confession, heartfelt intercession, highest petition. And when we pray like that, it'll make a difference, you guys, not only in our lives, but for everyone around us. So let us be bold in our prayers. Let us not be afraid. Let's call out to God. And, and, and let me add this. We need to pray in Jesus' name, right? He asks us to do that. So we need to pray in a powerful name. Of Jesus. I want to close with this story. I love this. It always inspires me also. A three-year-old boy wanted some chocolate chip cookies really bad. So in a grocery store, he kept asking his mother to buy him a package of cookies over and over. The mother kept saying, no, no. The mother wasn't giving in. So when they were going down that aisle where all the cookies were, he actually stood up in a cart and demanded, mommy, I want chocolate chip cookies. Well, the mother scolded him, told him to sit down and say, no, you cannot, sternly, she said. Well, the little boy didn't give up. He was persistent here. At the checkout, while they're they're, uh, putting the the groceries on on the the counter there, uh, the little boy stood up in the cart again. But this time he just shouted as loud as he could, In the name of Jesus, may I have chocolate chip cookies? Well, some people looked and laughed. Some people applauded the little boy. But due to the generosity of other shoppers, that day the mother and this little boy left the grocery store with 23 boxes of chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) Well, you can see how powerful, yeah, it is when, that's like how it is when we go to God, being persistent in asking, asking in the name of Jesus. It's very, very powerful. So let's pray, knowing that prayer can move hearts, knowing that prayer can move people, that knowing that prayer can bring healing, that prayer can bring miracles, that prayer can bring a, a revival, you guys. So let's pray like what we see here. Let's follow this pattern of Daniel's powerful prayer. Lord God, as we come to you right now, we ask that you would instill in our hearts what we learned today. God, that we would truly come to you in in humble adoration. That we would come to you in in an honest confession, Lord. That we would come to you in heartfelt intercession as we cry to you for those around us, Lord. And we help us, God, to come in highest petition that everything we pray is, is for you, God, for your glory. Not so much for us, Lord, though we know you, you like us to come with, with our needs, but ultimately may you be glorified and honored here. So Jesus, we ask God right now that, that you would stir our hearts, that you would strengthen us and give us, God, the inspiration by the power of the Spirit to pray more and pray every day with the Word of God. So, Lord, be with us now, especially as we come into this time in communion now. I ask, Lord, that your spirit would would continue to minister to us as we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.